What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the 131st episode of the Supernatural Occurrence Studies Podcast. So damn, damn paranormal. Damn. My name is Jason Knight, host of the show, and with me, as always, is Oscar Spector, producer extraordinaire and podcast co-host. So, Oscar, Mm -hmm. how you doing over there? You know that 131st episode is palindrome? We're in a palindrome episode. 131, 131, either way. Yes. We're going to get a lot of those now, now that we're in three digits. You know that, right? Like 141, then 151. All right. So we're going to get a bunch of those now. We should just do something palindromic. Palindromic. Wow. Something palindromic every episode. I love that word. (laughs) Just coining it here. Is it real? I love it. No, no, no. But uh, it feels real. Otherwise, I am okay. How are you? Uh, Doing okay. Doing okay. Freezing my ass off. It's like negative three. But, uh, you know, doing all right. In in the house? (laughs) No. Because you're at home. You work from home. When do do you have to go out? I don't. I don't. You're not freezing your ass. (laughs) But my office is like really cold. I don't know why. Really? I'm right in front of the window. I think my, my window's cold. So it's seeping in and chilling really? my bones. Is it actually seeping in? Can you can you feel it a little bit coming out? Uh, a little bit coming off the glass, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause uh um because I, I mean I've been to your house, I know the layout. And it's in it's not like off the corner or anything. It's in between other rooms and stuff. Yeah. I'm surprised you would have a cold office. Yeah, for some reason this office does get cold. And so does so does uh, my daughter Talia's room. Her her room gets ice cold, man. I don't know why. Can't I can't hmm. figure it out. So that's funny because uh, I have the same issue here. I'm wearing, I mean, you can see me. I'm wearing a hoodie. I yeah. don't wear a hoodie for the rest of the house. It's just that here in this office, it's colder. And I don't know why. I can see the vents from here <laughs> where the heat comes from. And I'm not saying it's not working because it would be much colder, right? But it's not working enough. <laughs> and maybe, I'm, it's, I'm, maybe it's the spirits that follow us, man. Maybe that's poss- what's doing it. Possibly. It also could be like, 
uh, you know, maybe maybe Dave will like this. Dave Dave Black from the from the from the from the show. Um, maybe it's the energies. Like for example, like I'm here usually by myself. It's not a very active room when I'm not in it. You know, and the kitchen super active. The living room is super active. Our bedroom super active. And yes, winky winky. Um, <laughs> not to mention our gliders are in us with us and they have room. So it's it's clearly the hottest room our bedroom and everywhere else is like progressively less hot and it's maybe it's about to do with what we're living in space right more oh it could be it could just be the body here too i guess but like yeah anyway just saying energies they do something they do um, yeah or it could be poor hvac i don't know <laughs> one yeah. of those things spirits yeah. or hvac and if you're from the um, north midwest area like we are chicago here um you are experiencing some deadly snow Deadly snow. I mean, just a lot of it, really. Not deadly. Um, I saw quite a few accidents already, uh, uh, both on the highway and on the way, like, you know, home or on the streets, somewhere around there. So it's been happening here and there. Hopefully everyone's okay. And yes, I would like to hear people write in some snow day stories, if you have any. I'm going to start us off here by saying I got stuck in the snow three or three times already oh, since no. uh, the epic snowfall from five days ago. And... Uh, Man, I, I, times like these, I wish I had a truck. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Times like these, I wish I didn't have a Chevy Cruze, but I have I have one of those, and um, it's been it's been I must have shoveled already. Like I mean, I know it's not a lot because I don't own a home, so I don't have to shovel walkways or anything like you do, Jay. Yeah. I, you've already spent a cumulative time more more shoveling than I have, but the three four hours I have done is just to get out of the road. <laughs> Man, yeah, it's bad. So, that's it's, bad. And then it takes yeah. It takes forever for the snow plows to come down those residential side streets. Yeah. Which which makes it even worse, you know. It took them um the second night or no, the third night I think. Second oh, night or the third yeah. or the third day maybe. Like by the morning of the third day they had done our street. So, at least there's that. And that's fine. And I know Chicago and Chicago's well prepared for it. We spent a lot of money to get prepared for that shit. Yeah. Like the highways were fine. They have been fine. It's great. Like <laughs> I could almost live on the highway. <laughs> it's perfectly plowed and salted. But and most and obviously all the big streets are as well. Thankfully, no problems there. Uh, it's just the residential ones, man. It's just like, oh my god, this is how the rest of the world is. Yeah, you were um, saying it, what you were an hour and a half late to work because you couldn't even get out of the space, the parking and space. I, right, and I came out of the house an extra hour earlier to shovel my way out, and so it was really two and a half hours of. Or two hours, roughly, of shoveling and getting out and stuff. Um, yep, yep, yep. That's been it's been something. So I'm sure there's stories out there, and I hope everyone had a a better time than myself. I lost my vape in the snow. Stupid Oscar. Ugh. And and I didn't have boots on either because I was just like whatever because it's Chicago. I don't give a fuck. Um, but I I do have boots. I just don't use them. Really bad <laughs> boots. I don't usually go hiking or anything. So anyway. But that's been me, and uh, I know you've been at home, still cold. How's the snow otherwise? Yeah, it sucked. We we got probably a foot or just over a foot, and it took me probably five hours total the morning after to uh, clear out my driveway, clear out my sidewalks, get the cars out of the driveway, mm -hmm. uh, even with a snowblower. It was bad. But from what I hear, our, our friends and listeners up in the Northeast, like in the New Jersey area, I heard they got like two feet overnight. Mm. 
I mean, that I just can't. That's a ton of snow. Chicago used to get that back in like the 70s and 80s, but we, we don't get it that bad anymore. But man, yes, that's due, probably the global warming. Uh, could be. I don't know. I mean, it could be a contributing factor, maybe other things, too. But I remember hearing stories of people getting stuck on the on the highways. Oh, yeah. In the in the 80s. Yep. Like people stuck in the highways and only big ass like um, plow trucks can make it in. And when they did, they obviously couldn't do everything. But what they did is that they would come in and give people who are stranded on the highway, right, a cups of coffee while they wait to be rescued. You know, Could I, would you imagine? Story, I would hear stories like that. People seem to be more uh, civil to one another back then, too. No one would do that nowadays. Yeah, but they also had the Chicago Ripper crew back then, too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's not get too excited here. There's always a tit for a tat, isn't there? Right. Always, always, <laughs> always, always. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you, you called it. I mean, I've just been staying inside. I've been uh, getting into cryptocurrency more and uh, hoarding some silver. That's about it. I'm bored, so I buy shit. Yeah. I had a new safe delivered to the house today. It's kind of cool. Really? Big, big ass safe. Oh, yeah. It's got the old school turn dial on it and shit. So, does it uh, actually work? It does. Yeah. Okay, good. It's, it's cool. So what are you going to put in it? Oh, like my precious metals and important papers and bonds and... Probably shouldn't even say this on the fucking air, right? <laughs> you can say it. Someone's just, don't gonna... say, just don't say the combination on the air. <laughs> Who cares? Um, I just, I, do, do you have cougarants? I do not have cougarants. I don't. I always thought, is it Kruger ants? Or am I thinking of just Freddy Krueger? I think you're just thinking of Freddy Krueger. So it's cougarants, not I think no it's cougar. Kruger, Kruger ants. I don't know. Right? That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> not like it's either or. But now I want it. Although I would buy some Kruger ants where the I had like faces of Freddy Krueger on the money on the coin. Oh, that reminds me. I bought some silver. It's mm. it, there was a rush on silver lately, so it's it's taken a long time to get to me. But these uh, silver coins, these two ounce silver coins, have all the cryptid creatures on them. Mm. It's a set. So I got silver coins coming with the Loch Ness monster, with Bigfoot, Mothman, Chupacabra, all these things mm. uh, on the the Kraken, all on these silver coins. They're so cool. They're so cool. That, that is really cool. Yeah. I want to so. see those. You should you should show them off to um, the bonus thing one day. Oh, on Patreon? Yes. Yeah, I could do Cause that. Because we, we show off things from our office. Just... That's right, during commercial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good call. Yeah, I could do that. I don't think yeah. I'm going to get them to like the end of March. Then that's when we do it. That's how backlogged they were on. on then I guess the a, the April's bonus will have that. <laughs> yeah, really. And my cougar ants um, too. Right, cougar ants. I'll try to get some I'll, by then. I'll get some cougar ants and get some Vorky's ants and stuff like that. So. <laughs> some um, Myers ants. Myers ants. <laughs> uh, one thing I, I did want to talk about during the beginning of the, the intro to this episode here, yeah, uh, we did get um, a new iTunes review. And I think mm. I showed this to you, and I think I, I mentioned that I wanted to read this uh, when we reheated the Gacy episode. Mm-hmm. And I said I'd, I'd read it in the, the second Alaska Triangle show. So, um, you know, I always say leave us those iTunes reviews. They help us immensely. They help uh, other listeners find this podcast and help grow our audience and grow the show. And um, so we got another review, but this is our first three-star review. Three out of five. Oh. This hurt my heart a little bit. 
but it's from a fan. And I always said, you know, leave us a review, even if it's like I, I used to call it good, bad, right? right? Even if it's good, bad, I'll read it because it, so this this listener obviously cares about the show, but yes. something really bothered me. Okay, now okay. I'll, I'll explain it. So I'll, I'll read. Let me just read the the iTunes review. It's from a, a listener named Piathena. Piathena, uh, as I said, three stars. Some constructive feedback. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm assuming it's a girl, but I guess you can't do that nowadays. So I'll just say the listener said, "quote Interesting content. It's clear a lot of research goes into these episodes, which I appreciate." I would change two things. First, there is way too much banter. I'm listening to your episode on the Mayan calendar, and there's over 20 minutes of chit-chat before we get to the subject of the episode. Also, Oscar should try to speak more clearly. It is sometimes hard to understand him, which is a shame because his contributions are valuable. I'm a fast talker too, so I know how it is to speed through uh, a thought that you're excited about. Listen to some of your episodes and you'll hear what I mean. Anyhow, good show. Keep up the good work. And this is a quote, right? Mm -hmm. um, so first, Payatina, thank you very much for writing in and thank you for being a listener and appreciating the work that goes into this show. But I'm going to tell you what bothered me, okay? Well, you're neurotic, so anything would bother you. <laughs> now, for, well, let yeah. me, well let's, before I get into the thing that bothers me, yeah, I, I'm always paranoid about talking too quickly. Uh, a lot of times after the, we record a show, I say to Oscar, I'm like, Oscar, did I read that too fast? Was it okay? Was I on pace? Um, so I, I always try to keep that in mind. And just when you're excited or even nervous, yeah, you, you tend, we, we tend to talk fast. So we're going to try to. And I'm a bigger, I'm a, I'm a bigger <laughs> proponent of that kind of thing. I definitely speak too fast. If anything, I have been over the last, I want to say, since I really started researching for the show, which was uh, probably 2020, right? When I did a mo my bulk of researching. Um, I have been, you know, because you, you were telling me like, oh, that's too fast. You gotta slow, slow it down a bit. And again, I should, because I don't know what I'm, how I'm saying it, it just comes out. Right. And I do normally speak much faster in real life. Yeah, you do, you do. <laughs> in, in conversations, I usually am much faster. Um, so this is a slower down version <laughs> of me already, you know. And I now I'm learning how to emphasize certain points and to lower down the words per minute WPMs. Um, double guns, double guns, and um, and yeah, but it's definitely always a work in progress because it's not always something controllable. I even do notice it myself when I hear it back or when I'm editing it. And there's really nothing I can do because <laughs> slowing down my voice, even in post credit, like a post edit thing, because you can lower down, you can slow down audio, right? Right. Um, even doing that, it would sound, it would sound so off. <laughs> I see. So I always tend to just leave it in, regardless of how how fast I do speak it. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it won't. Uh, yeah, I know. Oh, I know. Yes. My point no, is that I'm, I know. I do it too. So we'll definitely keep that in mind. Uh, but the thing that really bugged me was the 20 minutes of banter thing, okay? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. Now I'm going to explain why. Okay. We put into the show notes, into the oh, show right. notes. Right. You click on the show notes. We always tell you to click on show notes in our episodes because there's usually cool stuff in there for you to continue researching uh, after the show. Um, there's a timestamp right there that tells you how to get past the intro, where to start the topic, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't always do that. Um, the first, I don't know, I want to say 30-ish episodes. I don't remember when we started adding that. Mm -hmm. But 
from that point onwards into the forever, we're going to, we're going to put that there. If you don't want to hear our, our, our bullshit back and forth, go to the show notes. It'll tell you what timestamp to go to, to get to the topic. Now, if you're on the regular feed here, I'm going to drop you off right before the commercials. You don't want commercials. You want to get through all that nonsense, join our Patreon, right? So I went back and I'm like, okay, the 2012 episodes, I went back to both episodes and it was there, the timestamp. Yeah. You know, so all, yeah. all this yeah, person. I, I, I remember we did talk about this. Yeah. I knew you were going to mention that when you sent me the review. Because Jay, by the way, for those inside baseball knowledge for everyone, uh, I don't read any of this stuff. I don't know when this stuff comes in. I definitely, I am not up to <laughs> to the news of SOS. I am not up to speed at all. Jay sent me, sends me all this stuff. He sends me a text or an email when we get reviews or, or any, any kind of feedback of any kind. And good or bad, he sends me all of them. And I, lo- and I read all of them too. Um, so when he sent me this one, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, okay, she probably didn't read the, the, the show notes. And to be fair, you know, an avid podcast listener myself, you know, I don't read most of them either. See, I always go, I always click on details. I always go right. to the show notes. I think a lot of, there's certain people types that would, and you are definitely one of those. But, and I don't know how it is for most people who do listen to podcasts. If they do tend to uh, read the details, I only do so when I'm like, oh, when I'm in the middle of an interview, let's say, and I'm like, oh, what's this guy's name again? And I'm like, I just check, oh, yeah. right? And I'll just check the show notes or something. That's usually when I do it. But rarely do I do it, especially for um, uh, like uh, timestamps. I don't usually go there for that. And uh, But like my show, the same thing. I know the movie podcast. I put timestamps for every review when we're starting it, every spoilers when we're starting on, you know, everything. Yeah, There's always a list. And it's, it's there for people who need it. But I forget all the time. And I should use it more, but I don't. And my point is, is that maybe a lot of people don't remember to do it. Right. But, Which, yeah. and we, we talked off air, right? That we'll try to be better mm-hmm. at the top of the show. You know, maybe within the first few sentences, it'll be, you know, after our typical intro, you know. Oh, yes. I'm the yes. host of the show. I'm, you know, excuse me, or afterwards, <laughs> we can say, if you want to skip the intro, check right. the show notes for the timestamp. You know, we can, right. yeah, we can, we do, can that. do that right in the beginning. Right. Uh, but so yeah, it kind of bothered me because it was right there, you know. Yeah, maybe, I think. Maybe, uh, no, I know, I know. Maybe we would have scored a five out of five uh, instead of a three out of five. But um, well, my voice ain't gonna go slower, so it'll still be four out of five. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's good though. It's we just gotta bring awareness to it, and uh, right. and thank you, uh, Piatella, to for telling us. And then um, so absolutely. Um, did I get that right, Piatenia? it sounds like a foreign language but i don't know i can't tell um greek. okay could be greek it could be a mixture of two words i have no idea um kids these days with their usernames who knows <laughs> right 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 um uh, besides you know speaking of which uh, uh other people and stuff i i have this uh co-worker for those who may not remember or don't know i work at a starbucks location for my day job pay the bills job um, yes, it sucks, but it's also fun. And um, what you call it? Uh, we have this. Uh, I have this coworker named uh, Gabby. Yo, Gabba Gabba. I'm I'm name checking her. I call her Yo Gabba Gabba. I don't know why. Um, and I mentioned the show to her. I don't know how conversational. I don't mention it to everyone. I just mention it when people say like, "Oh, what you been up to?" Like, "Oh shit, I got all this research to do," which leads to, there you go, "What yeah. are you talking about?" I'm like, "Oh, I do this thing, and I have to do this five minute thing. I talk about it, the podcast. And, you know, it's the same thing I say all the time." And anyway, and then we get to a point where she's like, "Like, uh, it's too scary for me, but I really like your show." Oh, good. 
I'll take that as a compliment. She's been telling people, the customers, about it. I've been seeing her like really like forcing in, forcing it into conversation to people. Oh, yo, Gava Gava, thank you. So I wanted to drop her name here to say thank you for that. Um, Not saying she's doing it all the time, but she did it a lot for that one day. And I was like, oh, you don't have to do that. I felt so weird because I'm not used to kind of praise like that. But uh, it was fun. It was fun. Great. So thank you. Thank you, Yoga. Did I say Gabba Gabba or is it Gabba Gabba? I forgot. My kids used to watch that too. Yo Gabba Gabba, right? That's what I said. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Yo Gabba Gabba. Keep keep forcing it down people's throats. We need more yeah. iTunes reviews. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I had another friend listen to our Gacy episode. She really liked it too. So. Oh, good. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, some contact info. Mm, yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay. You sure? Is there anything else? No, no, there is nothing else. I'm just, um, I'm just dreading a certain oh, I think sequence I know. of numbers. Um, <laughs> well, let's start with that. You can call or text oh, the show by uh, dialing up Chicago area code 872-529-0767. That's Chicago area code 872-529-0767. Give us maybe, a voice. <laughs> maybe you should. Like, it's like one of those things where you're trying too hard to tell them there's a Chicago area code. You don't have to say it's Chicago area code. You know, if you if you believe there was a Chicago area code, you wouldn't say Chicago area code so much. Oh, I you know see. What I'm saying, I think I think you're trying too hard to sell this lie, <laughs> and in, and in doing so, it's showing your hand. You're showing your hand. No one's ever gonna bet against uh, this this hand you have because you're showing it too much and we know you have a good card in there. So like, it's not working. You're going to lose the bet. Damn it. It's not, it's just, I'm just saying psychologically speaking, I think you're trying too hard. (laughs) You shouldn't mention the everyone. I hope everyone knows I'm kidding all the time. Okay. It's our bit. It's our shtick. I love it. I never know what you're going to say. It's great. I never know. Um, And of course the easiest way to contact the supernatural occurrence studies podcast is by visiting our website at chicagoghostpodcast.com. From chicagoghostpodcast.com, you can get to all of our social sites, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, Patreon. And if you really love the show and you want to hear more of it, join our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash supernatural occurrence studies podcast. For just $5 a month, receive exclusive Patreon-only podcast episodes. These are episodes that are never going to appear on this, our public feed. It's just for our patrons, and it's our way of saying thank you. Thank you for believing in us, and thank you for supporting the show. Uh, With that, Oscar, we have 17 pages of, of notes to get through here. What do you say we take a break and get into the second part of the Alaska Triangle? 17 pages is like a PhD paper. That's not like a notes. Every episode we do, Oscar, you know this as well as I do, because you're working on something right now that might be a three-parter. It's Uh, a fucking dissertation. Every episode we do is a dissertation. (laughs) Thank you. Dissertation. I can't think of the word. That's why I wanted a PhD paper. (laughs) I obviously never went to college for that long to know this stuff. (laughs) I just went to uh, four years. Whatever. Um, But yeah, it it does feel like a dissertation every single time. And mine is going to be... Yeah, yours is going to be impressive. I have no idea what it is, but oh it my god, it's so mega! Long. I just want to get halfway so I could feel like I'm halfway done because I'm not there yet. <laughs> but that's that's what we do for the show. I mean, we don't. Yeah, no, yeah, no. I'm we not don't just take that. a couple bullet points and then freestyle the whole episode. I mean, we do 
tons of research. Yep. That's what we deliver. All right, let's take a break and we'll get back into the uh, topic here. Let's do it. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listeners, welcome back to the show. Well, the lights are turned down low. The ceremonial candle is lit. And the drinks are flowing. Let's start this show. So, I wanted to begin with a recap of the previous episode. Episode 130, Alaska Triangle, Part 1. So, in our our previous podcast episode... We covered a bunch of really interesting topics as they pertain to an incredible amount of missing persons and aircraft in an area in Alaska resting within borders connecting Anchorage and Juneau in the south to Barrow, which is now Utkwiakovik along Alaska's north coast. Yeah, right. Thus forming a triangle, a triangle of total madness. We mentioned that since 1988, an estimated 16,000 people have disappeared in the Alaska Triangle. That's something like 533 people a year, or roughly five in every 1,000 people that go missing without a trace. It's just unbelievable. Now, in the previous episode, we got into some fun Alaska facts, like I like to do. Mm-hmm. We, we really placed emphasis on Alaska's topography and what could maybe some natural explanations for the disappearances. But still, 16,000 people since 1988. There has to be more going on here, right? So with that in mind, we also got into some theories as to why people and aircraft go missing in the Alaska Triangle at such an alarming rate. First, we discussed three cryptid creatures as possible culprits. 
the Alaskan hairy man, the shape-shifting Kushtaka, and those nasty little Inukins. Remember those? (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, creepy little bastards. Next, we focused our eyes skywards and talked about four aircraft incidents with very unusual backstories, including one with a shocking extraterrestrial connection. We also provided links to photos and to Alaska's active missing persons bulletin and the Alaska Missing Person Clearinghouse, two official websites where you could see and research for yourself a massive list of people missing in Alaska. And those missing, we're talking men, women, children, young, old, middle-aged, many nationalities. Whatever's happening in our 49th state does not discriminate. And listeners, be sure to check this episode's show notes as well, as there's photos and links there waiting for you for further research. Yep. So that ends our quick recap of episode 130. Listeners, if you haven't already done so, please go back and listen to the first Alaska Triangle episode before you listen to this one. This is a part two, right? And now, more high strangeness and the continuation of the Alaska Triangle. Let's start out by talking about some buried things. At the end of July 2012, Linda Moulton Howe, an Emmy Award-winning TV producer, documentary filmmaker, and reporter and editor for EarthFiles.com, a -hmm. well-respected fringe science website, she received an email from a man who wanted to be referred to as John Smith, saying that his (laughs) father, I know, his father, a man named M.B. Johnson, a retired military man and an employee for Western Electric, under Bell Labs and AT&T, John Smith said that his father told him that between the years 1959 and 1961, he worked at the base of a pyramid located west of Mount McKinley, approximately 700 feet underground. Hmm. Now, you got to understand, at the time, if there was any cutting-edge, groundbreaking science being conducted in the world, It was being done right here in the United States under Bell Labs. That's a fact. And keep in mind, John Smith's father, M.B. Johnson, worked for Western Electric under Bell Labs. Now, Johnson, the father, said that the pyramid was referred to as the Dark Pyramid. What's a pyramid? The Black Pyramid. It's in the astral plane or the Black Pyramid, by those who worked at the pyramid site. Johnson said that when he went down 700 feet in a mineshaft elevator, the elevator opened to a cement walkway that had been built through a tunnel that led to the base of a massive underground pyramid. You can get lost in all that white. Now think about that for a moment. In order for there to be an elevator shaft, a tunnel, and a cement walkway leading to this thing, that means tons of people have to know about this supposed underground pyramid. There Mm -hmm. had to be construction crews, stone cutters, masons, heavy equipment operators, all involved just to get down to the pyramid, let alone the scientists involved to study it. Yet no one's talking about it. Why is that? 
Yeah, I'm thinking, first of all, are you getting whiffs of the thing here a little bit? Obviously not as, right, I mean, the thing isn't, it's just like a, a little thing compared to a pyramid. Absolutely. But, I, I got a whiff of that, and I got a whiff of that one Predator movie, too. Seven days ago, one of my satellites over in Antarctica discovered a pyramid. Um, yes, I was just, oh, fuck you. I was just about sorry. to say the Predator. No, that's good. That's good. In, in PBP, I think. Right, Predators or, or AVP, sorry. I think it was um, AVP with the Italian aliens. scientists. That's right. But if you want a, a better version of that, I think of uh, the Resident Evil games has a lot of, they deal with a lot of underground facilities, and one of them is shaped like an underground pyramid. One of them is shaped like a hive. I remember called that. the hive. But it's like all these, you think of all these underground stations in general, and this is like one of them, right? This is like another rendition. It's just, that was my first thought, and I wanted to mention that here. Um, it does it does kind of smell of that doesn't it yes it does it does yeah but yeah all these people had to be involved just to get down there let alone study it but no one's talking about it why right you got to ask yourself why now anyway mg mb johnson not g Mm -hmm. mb johnson the father in other words told his son that he worked inside this pyramid at one of its vertices in an enclosed room where his job was to try and figure out how this structure, this pyramid could amplify energy because that's exactly what it supposedly does. The black pyramid amplifies energy in a massive way, but more on that in a minute. Now on September 3rd, 2012, Linda Moulton Howe announced to the public yet another email she received from a man named Bruce L. Pearson who said that his father, now we got two fathers, uh, one working for Western Electric under Bell. Now this one is was a decorated Navy man um, who's never named, by the way. They are everyone and they are no one. Uh, the email talked about his father's firsthand knowledge in 1978 about a massive underground pyramid, approximately four times the size of the pyramid at Cheops in Egypt, located, if by flying uh, by helicopter, two hours east of Unalakleet, Alaska, okay? Now, if you take both stories, M.B. Johnson, the Western Electric guy, and Bruce L. Pearson's story about his Navy father, and you combine the locations, that places this underground pyramid somewhere between Unalakleet, Alaska, which is to the west on the coast of the Bering Sea, part of the Nome, Alaska census area, and mm-hmm. Mount McKinley, which is near Denali, Alaska. And when you look at a map, Mount McKinley definitely falls within the Alaska Triangle, although Unalakleet, Alaska, doesn't. Okay? okay. Okay. Now, according to the message Moulton Howell received from Bruce Pearson and subsequent interviews with Pearson, in the mid-1970s, Pearson's parents applied to teach in Alaska after his father uh, retired from the Navy, and the family moved to Unalakleet in 1976. Now, two years later, in either April or May 1978, Bruce Bruce Pearson's father Hmm. met a U.S. Air Force pilot in Unalakleet, and the two, they they became fast friends. You know, they, they both served in World War II, they both spent time on PT boats in the war. So they, they traded war stories and this friendship blossomed, a kinship. Plus, you know, Laclete is, is a small 
place. Everyone kind of knows one another, and these two men hit it off. You might you might have to also know everyone. <laughs> right? You don't have a choice, right? Right. Um, so as the story goes, the Air Force pilot, who is also never named, by the way, hmm. offered to take Pearson's father on a helicopter ride to a classified location a few hours west, west, heading inland of Unalakleet towards Mount McKinley. Hmm. This was to be a, a parts delivery mission. The Air Force men said that they'd be loaded with heavy cargo, fly over the, to, the, to the location, deliver the cargo, refuel, and then head right back to Unalakleet. Now, Pearson's father agreed, and off they went. Just two old you know, military men spending some time together, right? Yeah. Now, once inside the helicopter, en route, Pearson's father was kind of debriefed, debriefed on this mission. He was told that they were flying to a generating facility located underground, to which Pearson's father asked, like what, a, a nuclear power plant? To which the helicopter co-pilot replied, quote, this is a quote, hmm. no, it's nothing we built. It's thousands of years old. It's cut like a pyramid, and it's 150 feet below ground at its vertex, at its top, and they hmm. can't figure out what the hell it is, end quote. Wow. Now, the pilot, the Air Force guy, and yeah. the co-pilot went on to say that this thing, referring to the pyramid, quote, will put out enough energy to power the whole state of Alaska and the entire country of Canada. That's how much, that's how much juice it puts out, and no one could figure out why it's there, end quote. Now, Pearson's father confirmed that they flew about two hours east of Unalakleet to the middle of nowhere in the Alaska tundra. Couldn't have been far from Denali and Mount McKinley, Pearson's father said, and that's a quote. Mm -hmm. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. It was mentioned during the flight that on approaching this drop site, the pyramid site, the pilots would have to switch to VFR or visual flight rules because their onboard instruments would go haywire and their radar would be rendered useless due to whatever it was that they were working with underground at the site. The pyramid, in other words. Pearson's father was told, don't panic when he heard alarms going off, that that was normal for the location. And sure enough, suddenly, while high up in the air, the chopper pilot said, here we go, boys. And Pearson's father said he looked and the helicopter's radar screen went totally green, and the onboard compass was spinning uncontrollably, and there were red lights and alarms going off in the cockpit. But the pilots were ready, and they flew by visual, and all was fine. When the helicopter landed at the pyramid site, Pearson's father said he saw a blockhouse, which is like a concrete shelter used as an observation point. Think of when you see like nuclear bomb test video, you know, from way back in the day, the black and white, they're all hunkered down in that cement bunker. Yes. That's supposedly what this guy saw there. He also saw a fuel dump, a vehicle storage facility, like a, a large garage. He saw a snowcat and a few other vehicles parked around. And off to the side, he claimed to have seen what looked like a few mine shaft elevators just kind of sticking out of the ground hmm. with electrical razor wire fence surrounding each shaft with guard stations, complete with armed guards above the mine shafts. He said that the guards wore black uniforms with no visible patches or identifying insignia. Oh, really? Really? Yes, like black ops type shit. Now, the three men, 
Pearson's father and the helicopter pilot and co-pilot, they never got off the helicopter. Instead, six men in black uniforms approached the helicopter and then unloaded three very large, very heavy machined metallic cases. And actually, Pearson's father said that the cases were beautiful in their construction. They didn't know what was in it. Never did find out. As the cases were being carried off, a Jeep pulled up with a fuel pump on the back, along with a man stationed at a 50 caliber machine gun pointed right at the helicopter. The chopper was refueled, and off the three men flew back to Unilacleet. And that was that. No one knew that the Black Pyramid, no one knows if the Black Pyramid existed. Uh, until Linda Moulton Howell released it to the inform- to the public in, in 2012. No one knew this thing was there. And to this day, we're really not sure if this pyramid exists or not. Yeah, I was briefly reading it up on that when you were talking. Like, yeah, I was like, this is kind of what you're saying is what kind of what I'm reading here. And no one knows exactly for sure either. But it makes me wonder if uh, could this be one of the reasons why Alaska, uh, Alaska was pur- purchased by the United States? Oh, man. I wanted to mention that because you you talked about it uh, in the first part. I don't remember who, who did we buy it from. Was it Canada? No, it, wasn't it was Canada. Russia. It was Russia, right? Yeah. Um, I'm curious as if 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 that's what that's why they bought it because gold wasn't a thing there until after they bought it. It wasn't discovered until after. Correct. And oil reserves also came out way after that. I think. Correct. And um, so those are not good reasons to buy a piece of land that isn't even connected to the United States. At the time, why would they? Unless, wow, they found that's, this. That that's a theory I haven't heard, but man, Justif- does it make sense? Justifying, right? Justifying a reason to buy it by uh, maybe whatever reason they said at the time. It wasn't even that long ago. It was in the sixties or fifties or something. You said nineteen forties, something like that. Fifty-five or sixty-five, something like that. But yeah, but in the twentieth century, they bought it. Yes, you know, that's my point, and that's like a. Again, surprising to think about that it was bought recently. It's still, we had 49 states up until that point. Kind of feels like we've had 50 states for a lot longer. Um, and uh, I just wanted to bring that up here in case, just to bring in that little element as you continue. No, that's that's great. That's a really good thought. Um, man, I gotta. That that's. I'm gonna think about that one. It's yeah. A, yeah. Now, since the public uh, release of this information about this. Black Pyramid by Linda Moulton Howe, there have been no reports of civilians making the trek out to this site to investigate. I mean, civilian expeditions to the site would be treacherous, and they would be very expensive, but still, you'd think someone would try to tackle it. But no, no one's done it. Hmm. And of course, if the pyramid really is there, and the government and the military know about it, would they say anything anyway, right? And that's all we really know about the Black Pyramid. It's massive. It's located way underground, somewhere between Unalakleet, Alaska, and Mount McKinley, likely closer to Mount McKinley, which is inside the Alaska Triangle. It's old as hell. No one knows how it got there. And it's said to pump out massive amounts of energy. Like, uh, man, how does it pump that out? No one knows. It's a reactor of some kind. You know, they say this about the ancient pyramids in Egypt, too, or pyramids all over the world, frankly. What, that, do, they, what, do, they, what do they say about it? That like, they were yeah. ancient power sources. Um, that does I, what? That does what? I don't know. Like, are you saying that, like, electrical? 
Is that what you mean? Is that Correct. what they mean? Right. Okay. Correct. So make sure electrical, right? So it was a um, free energy for these ancient civilizations, which gives rise to this whole ancient alien theory that we were visited by the sky gods, the aliens. They right. this technology for us way back then uh, that provided free energy to these civilizations that the civilizations weren't as dumb as and and um neanderthal-like as we think that they were actually very advanced part well, and parcel well that reminds that reminds me of that one book that i mentioned a long time ago that i read i forgot the name of the science book regarding the the evolution of humankind right in it one of the things i remember coming out of it was that the human brain and its capacities was never has been the same for hundreds for hundreds of thousands of years meaning that um yes they didn't have cell phones yes they didn't have indoor plumbing because they just didn't get there yet but like they were uh, they had the, the capacity to think and be that creative or that smart back then right you know what i'm saying as they as we do today is, is the point of the book wanted to make that the like the brains weren't smaller back then you know they weren't any less dumb Right, right. I mean, they, yeah, they had. I mean, I'm sure they had their version of Floridians. Sorry, and um, but they, <laughs> we, they also had their Einstein level people as well. You know. Yeah. So you know, I mean, what I'm saying is, I'm buying it. I'm buying what you're saying here. That could be that they, they were smarter than we think they were. What I'm curious about is why did they choose? I mean, so okay. Pyramids, when you think of pyramids, you either think of – now I'm thinking of Alaska, cold places because I know Antarctica, you know, famously in science fiction, they show a lot of that stuff. And we've seen some little things here and there. But uh, obviously you think of desert, Gaza, Egypt, right, all these very hot places, unlivable places in, as well. They're kind of almost unlivable. The opposite problems that you have in, 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 in Antarctica you have in a desert. Um, I'm curious as to why those places were chosen to build them. Well, I'm wondering if it's the remoteness, you know. Well, that's what um, I'm saying. So it's there yeah. for to purposely uh, obscure from other members of humanity or a group of people is trying to hide what they're doing from other people, which braces probably double the amount of questions. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Because right. Because like, why is that? Why this secret stuff lasted the test of time? Because it was secluded, meaning that no wars touched them, no other human living situations got you know made it deteriorate faster right you think of like you know teepees ain't gonna last hundreds of thousands of years a building may not last wait hundreds of thousands of years right like that's that's why ruins are kind of like special right Absolutely. and some some ruins are obviously, obviously more special than others they got saved and preserved differently but is that why this is preserved because it was so secret back then even and that's why I don't. I'm just. I'm so many questions. I know. I know. That's it's my point. Uh, it's a lot of it's rhetorical, but it. Yeah. It's so fascinating, and I think this kind of leads a little bit to my next point because even though we don't know a lot about this thing, yeah, it's big, it's buried, it's old, it's supposedly powerful, it pumps out all this energy. I, I don't want to stop there because if you're anything like me, you're probably asking yourself, well, how the hell did we find this thing in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, in the first place, right? And for that, we have to go all the way back to the 1950s and the Western Electric Company. Western Electric was owned by AT&T. And AT&T, along with 8,000 other en engineers, scientists, and construction workers, were looking to build something called White Alice, 
or the White Alice Communication System, a United States Air Force telecommunication network with 80 radio stations that was to be constructed in Alaska during the Cold War. This communication system was to give us, the United States, early warning if there was something heading towards us from the Soviet Union over the North Pole. Yes, like a missile or an enemy aircraft. Now, the area where White Alice was to be built um, had only before been visited by the occasional hunter, a trapper, maybe a wayward gold miner, or a native tribe. Remember, this is a very remote area of of Alaska next to zero people traffic. When deciding on the site on on which, or, or better, through which White Alice was to be built, electromagnetic interference had to be taken into consideration. Have you wow. ever? Yeah. So, have you ever driven by like high tension lines while listening to your car radio, and the radio gets all staticky? That's electromagnetic interference. It could occur naturally from the Earth. Or it could occur through man-made means, like I mentioned, high-tension lines, for example. Western Electric couldn't place radio antennas in areas with high earthly magnetic in- electromagnetic interference. Otherwise, their signals would get all screwed up and the White Alice early warning communication system would be useless. It's believed that through testing for electromagnetic interference in the proposed White Alice areas, someone maybe a construction worker or maybe a contractor, stumbled across a spot that was producing extreme levels of electromagnetic interference with no visual evidence of what could be producing it, like a building or a generator, for example. In come the scientists involved with the White Alice Project with more sophisticated equipment, and eventually they pinpoint the source as coming from underground. And that's how the pyramid was likely discovered. Wow. If it's real, right? Or, or, I mean, like you don't like, okay, sorry, continue. No, no, it's okay. And just to close this section up, so you know, White Alice was eventually constructed and used, and it was really advanced for its, t- for its time. But White Alice was decommissioned in the 1970s when satellite communication came onto the scene. And today, a number of White Alice sites are highly contaminated from fuel leakage, uh, from storage tanks, and uh, the system's use of PCB, or polychlorinated biphenyl, an agent used as cooling fluid in high-tech electrical systems. So, I mean, who, who knows? Is, is there really a massive, ancient, power-generating pyramid sitting hundreds of feet below ground somewhere in or near the Alaska Triangle? Something put there not by us, but by someone or something else? And I'll tell you one thing. When I read about the chopper pilots having to go fl- visual flight rules because their instrumentation would be disturbed by whatever's in the ground, the pyramid in this case, yeah, that made me immediately think about something we talked about in the last episode, Flight 1866 from September 4th, 1971, the one that flew into the mountain and killed 111 people because the plane received incorrect readings and the bent beacon signal coming from Sister Island. Remember that? Yes. And what about the other 40-plus missing aircraft? Could they have been thrown off course by this pyramid? Could this supposed black pyramid create portals or time rifts that these planes accidentally fly into, never to be seen again, due to the massive amounts of energy the pyramid supposedly puts out? Now, I'm speculating, of course, but man, in a weird way, 
it makes sense. And speaking of portals and time rifts, let's get into that a little further. Let's talk vortices. Now, a vortex is an area of intense, concentrated spinning. For example, like a whirlpool, right, in in water, or the air of a tornado over land. Albert Einstein speculated, and he was absolutely correct, that vortices could also uh, form in space-time and connect different areas of the universe. This idea was part of Einstein's theory of relativity. And NASA proved this theory was correct in May of 2011 by determining that there is a 4D space-time vortex around the Earth. Now, this is some pretty complex stuff. But Yeah, you don't say. <laughs> basically, and I took a long time trying to digest this, but basically gravity can be described as the motion of objects following curved lines in space-time. The curved lines are caused by mass, like our Earth or the sun. In other words, mass, massive amounts of mass, causes space-time to curve. Objects moving near that mass roll towards it, kind of like how a ball rolls towards a person sitting in the middle of a trampoline. Could you picture that? Yes. We actually, if you want another in like information, like a funny qu- a quip or a kibble of information. We use this when we talked about, um, I believe it was when we talked about uh, the, um, the what's that Colorado place? Um, Colorado place. Skin, oh, Skinwalker. U- Utah Skinwalker, yeah. Skinwalker Ranch. Sorry, Utah. Um, when we talked about what they, well, how, how, their spacecraft would travel like in the, in the, I think, I don't know if it was from that, it was from those discussions we talked about aliens and stuff like that. And then, and one of them was, this, or maybe it wasn't them, you know, it was maybe, maybe a different thing entirely, but I remember them describing how uh, spacecrafts, uh, alien spacecrafts, they wouldn't, they wouldn't use speed to go through anything. They bend the gravity around them to get anywhere. Right. Right. And, and the way they described it in that description they said, like, imagine a bowling ball and then on a bed, and then you push down next to the bowling ball to make the bowling ball fall with the gravity of the bed being yeah, pushed down. Yeah. And, like, that's how they travel. They don't actually move themselves. The space around them moves them for them, right? And that's why they always um, glide in one singular, like, backwards-looking way. Like, they glide belly down, belly up, because it doesn't matter. There's no... There's no wind resistance for them. They don't have to speed at all. You know, they're just right. constantly falling to where they need to go. Isn't that amazing? And that's kind of, this reminds me of that. This it reminds does, me of that. You're right. It does. It wasn't a skinwalker. It was something else. I, I was around that time, maybe. Yeah, we've talked about so much. It's so could've much been, stuff. Could have right. been the CERN episode. It could have been the time travel episode. I, no, I, I think did... it's after those. I think it was it... maybe with that couple, the abduction couple, maybe, or in that three-part thing we talked uh, about aliens and E.T., um, it was around there. Well, listeners, yeah. if you remember, let us know. <laughs> yeah, but it was, Sometimes they described it, gives... it like that, and you're describing it very similarly. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what NASA proved. Maybe in the other ones we were speculating, this is what NASA proved. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to look up the, the, um, the files on this, this, this experiment NASA did in proving that Einstein was correct with this, it's just a fascinating read. Right. So, so remember, you know, curved lines are caused by mass, like our Earth and our Sun. Um, 
in other words, mass causes space-time to curve, right? Objects moving near that mass roll towards it, and I use the trampoline example. But also, as the Earth spins, it causes a twisting of space-time. So the movement of Earth affects the space-time vortex. This has been proven. So if space-time could be bent or curved, then in theory, time itself could also be bent, thus allowing for theoretical wormholes or even time travel. Great Scott! And we're pretty much positive that right here on our little blue rock, vortices exist. For example, a vortex is speculated to exist inside the Bermuda Triangle, causing boats and planes. Interesting. That yes. makes a lot of sense, right? Oh, wait. Uh, causing boats and planes to disappear, right? This, this Bermuda Triangle vortex. In fact, there are 12 known triangles on the planet where vortices are supposed to exist. Now, collectively, these 12 vortices are called the vile vortices. Now, vile vortices are areas on the Earth's surface which have naturally occurring anomalies due to the planet's natural electromagnetic fields being stronger in these parts than anywhere else in the world, in these triangles than anywhere else in the world. Vile vortices are spread equally in 12 parts across our planet. Five vile vortices on the Tropic of Cancer, five vile vortices on the Tropic of Capricorn, and there's a vile vortex in the North Pole and one in the South Pole. And the vile vortices are not always ocean-bound, like the Bermuda Triangle. Some of the vortices occur on land, too. Now, get this. The main reason these 12 vortices are called vile is because they are said to cause events which hamper the routine course of one's life, thereby forcing the affected party to check out alternate measures which are not as feasible as the one they wanted to check out in the first place. So think about that. A plane is forced to fly in a different course. Right, right. A boat navigates alternate waters. Or a hunter or a hiker takes a different path than they otherwise would not have traveled. Now, I want to cover these 12 vile vertices in in detail in another podcast episode because they are fascinating. But for now, I want to name and list where these vile vortices are located. Okay? Okay. Now, the one we already mentioned, it's the Bermuda Triangle, located in the Atlantic Ocean, roughly bound by Miami, Miami, Florida, the island of Bermuda, right. and Puerto Rico. There's the South Atlantic Anomaly, which occurs uh, near the coast of Brazil, and is actually an, an anomaly in space rather than on ocean or on land. That one's a really interesting one. There's the Mohenjo-Daro hmm. Vortex, located in the Indus Valley in Pakistan. There's the Algerian megalith vortex in North Africa, the Dragon's Triangle in the Pacific Ocean off of the coast of Tokyo. There's the Hamakulea volcano vortex in Hawaii. Another vile vortex is located at the Great Zimbabwe megaliths in Africa. There's Wharton Basin off the west coast of Australia in the Indian Ocean. Interestingly, where Malaysia Flight 370 is thought to have crashed. Breaking news tonight, a Malaysia Airlines flight with 239 people on board, including four Americans, has gone missing. Really? And sank back in 2014. That's absolutely... That's, so, that's funny that you mentioned that, I, um, because I was thinking about that um, last episode when we were talking about the flight stuff. 
and I was thinking about the whole Alaskan Triangle thing, the Malaysian thing came in, come up, came up in my mind, but I couldn't find a way to tell you, like, like, oh, I, I just, it just came up, but I popped in my head. Yeah, and I didn't really know why. I was thinking about the Malaysia thing. Well, I yeah. often think about it though. So it's a, it's a strange, crazy case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, supposedly it went down in in one of these valve vortices. There's the new Loyalty Island Vortex located in the southwestern Pacific Ocean near New Caledonia. There's the Eastern Island Vortex in the South Pacific Ocean, and there's a vortex in the North Pole, and there's one in the South Pole as well, like I said. And remember, wherever these vortices are located, there also happens to be long-running claims of disappearing people, planes, and ships, UFO activity, poltergeist activity, equipment malfunctions, and of course, electromagnetic anomalies, you name it. Right. Now, as far as Alaska is concerned, if indeed the Alaska Triangle is yet another place on our planet where a vortex exists, like the 13th Vile Vortex, and there are very real claims that the Denali-Mount McKinley area is a vortex, just imagine if the Black Pyramid is real and it really does pump out enough energy to power all of Alaska and Canada, What would that do to an area already experiencing energy anomalies like a vortex? And what impact would that have on an unsuspecting person, plane, or vehicle unlucky enough to get caught up in it? I don't know what the impact would be, but I don't want to be the person to find out. That's for sure. Right. If there is a powerful something or a combination of powerful somethings causing the very fabric of space-time to bend and warp in these triangle areas? The possibilities are really endless as to what physical manifestations that bending and twisting can cause in the here and now. So Val Vortices, we got to cover those one day in in full. They're incredibly interesting. It's too much fun. Really? Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a lot of fun to research and to like, because um, we're just covering an, an angle. It's almost like, it's almost like this is a potential answer to a lot of the things we cover because we tend to cover by location or event. Mm-hmm. This one kind of covers like a reason a lot of those locations or events happened, like why they happened, right? It certainly could be. It's like we're just, we're just like we're talking about a suspect, you know, kind of S- thing. Some keys to the puzzle. Right. Exactly. That's kind of cool. It's almost like a science. Yeah, because these these vortex areas, like I said, UFOs, poltergeist, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how it affects the human mind, right? Lost things. I mean, it, it all encompasses these vortex areas. It's very, incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of bending and twisting, like fabric of space time, what is more bent and twisted than the mind of a serial killer? It wasn't as dark and scary as it sounds. I had a lot of fun. Killing somebody's a funny experience. Yeah. Now Alaska has a number of murderers that could be considered serial. Remember, the FBI definition of serial murder is the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offender or offenders in separate events. Two or more? Two or more. Oh, wow. I really thought it was a lot bigger than that. Yep. yep. I thought it was like five or more. Okay. Yeah, remember, because we talked about this on a number of past episodes. We talked about. Sure I keep forgetting. No, no, no. It's, uh, we talk about the gangbanger who goes on a drive by spree, right? 
mm-hmm. by definition, if you kill two, that, that gangbang is a serial killer. Or we talked about the mob hitmen, right, who are glorified and glamorized. They're just fucking serial killers in a suit. Right, serial killers, you know? yeah, all business, right, but still killers. Right. Now, Alaska definitely has individuals that fit the FBI's definition, as do most states, unfortunately. But there is one individual that really stands out among Alaskan killers, one that really went for it with gusto. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking about the butcher baker, Robert Christian Hansen. Now, again, be sure to check the show notes to see pictures of this fucking animal. Now, this isn't a serial killer episode, so I'm not going to get into all of Han- Hansen's background. But right. as a kid, Hansen was skinny. He was weak. He had a ton of acne and wore these thick glasses, and he spoke with a stutter. So needless to say, he wasn't a ladies' man, but he was the target for bullies. Okay. Now, in turn, Hansen's hatred for women grew over the years, as did his overwhelming need to exact revenge on those people who he he figured wronged him. And that hatred and need for revenge would eventually manifest in explosively violent, depraved ways. Now, Robert Hansen was also an avid, incredibly skilled hunter, having won world, world records in the Pope and Young Club, one of North America's leading bow hunting and conservation organizations, for killing with a bow and arrow a world record-setting doll sheep and the number two in the world, barren ground caribou, in Alaska in 1971. Unfortunately, though, Hansen didn't stick to hunting just animals. Hansen's other passion was hunting strippers and prostitutes. Literally. Wow. Robert Hansen's M.O. was particularly brutal. After raping and torturing his victims in either the wilderness surrounding Anchorage or at his home on the east side of Anchorage, Hansen would then fly some of his victims in his private plane to a cabin he owned in the Kinnick River Valley, about an hour north of Anchorage. And by the way, Robert Hansen is the only known serial killer to use an airplane during his crimes. The more you know. Really? Yes. Uh, like American serial killer, uh, you mean probably. Wow. Yes. Huh. And also, uh, uncommonly so, um, one of the few I can think of without a middle name. Christian, well, yeah, Robert Christian Hansen. He, he oh, yeah. oh, Christian, that's right. Okay, right, never mind. He has a middle name. Because they all have middle names. They all have fucking It's always have three names. names. Okay, yeah. well, never mind. <laughs> now, anyway, once Hansen got his victims to his isolated cabin, that's when the real insanity began. It would usually begin with more rape and abuse. And when Hansen grew tired of his captive, he would strip the victim naked, oftentimes blindfold them, and then set them free, allowing the terrified women to run off into the surrounding woods. Now, this had to be an exhilarating feeling for the victims, finally being free of this fucking monstrous captor, right? But Hansen had no intention of letting his victims escape. Right. He would give the women a head start, and then, armed with a knife and a Ruger Mini-14, he would pursue them, hunt them, just like the game he so expertly hunted for sport. The world's most dangerous game. Right. right. Yes. I think it's just called the most dangerous game, right? The book, yes. the short book. Whatever. That's right. Technically a novella. 
Now, naked, terrified, and freezing, the women would eventually slow down, and Hansen would catch up to them and shoot them dead. If that's not a nightmare scenario, I don't know what is. Now, ultimately, Hansen is believed to have killed upwards of 37 women between 1971 and 1983. He is known to have killed 17, but only 12 bodies have been found. Hmm. Hansen also confessed to committing 30 rapes during this time as well. Just an animal, this guy. Now, unbelievably, Hansen was able to get away with his crimes for 12 years because he poised himself as an upstanding member of society in Anchorage, where he lived. Not only was he harmless looking, quote, like a perfect dork, end quote, as one of his <laughs> assault victims would later say, he was also seen as a loving family man. He had a wife and two kids. He was an all-star hunter, and he owned a very successful bakery in Anchorage, hence the name The Butcher Baker. Hmm. Now, Hansen, Hansen's killing came to an end on June 14, 1983, when a woman named Cindy Paulson, an intended victim, broke free of Hansen at the airport where he stored his plane, like, like he was in the process of taking her to his cabin to do God knows what when she escaped. Paulson ran to a nearby road, flagged down a motorist, and that was it. Hansen was done. Now, once caught, Robert Hansen, the butcher baker, wound up copping a plea deal. And even though he confessed to 14 to 17 murders, sources differ about his confession, he was only charged with four. He was sentenced to 461 years plus life without the possibility of parole. And Hansen died on August 24, 2014, at the age of 75 from natural causes at Alaska Regional Hospital in Anchorage. Mm. Now, if you want to catch a, a really rather good Hollywood movie about Robert Hansen, check out a 2013 movie called The Frozen Ground. Just because I did some things in my past, don't say that I've done this here because I did not. I did not. Okay, okay, Bob. I did not kill anyone. Bob, just calm down. Sorry, I'm late. Bob, we found this at your house. Can you tell me what it is? Starring John Cusack as Robert Hansen and Nicolas Cage as Sergeant Jack Halcombe, a character based on the real Alaska State Trooper named Glenn Floff, a cop responsible for bringing Hansen down. It's actually like, a pretty good movie. Responsible for bringing him down in a sense of like, were they on his, were they on the case of these missing people or yes. were, okay. Yes. Or like, was he involved only after the motorist was stopped by the girl? Who no, they were invested because these bodies were turning up. Right. Um, right. And they were and they were they were going with a serial killer, like one person in mind kind of thing. Right. Yeah. But not Hanson at all. No, no. Right. He not Hanson yeah, at all. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I'm saying is like they were they were at least they were aware because it's one thing to just find out that, oh, shit, like all these murders are happening. Right. And if this girl hadn't escaped and brought this guy down uh, off the street, flagged him off the street. You may never have known not only that it was this puny, dork, perfect dork looking guy Perfect, right you, yeah. right you 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 know you'd be surprised if it was any, any kind of serial killer right necessarily okay but okay they were on to him i want to see that i've heard of it it's on netflix i think it's a know. good movie i really liked it i want to see it i want to yeah it. um and you know i didn't put this in here because again this wasn't a serial killer episode but the cops went to hansen more than once there were women complaining about uh how he would abuse them when he picked them up right but again perfect dork Oh, this is Robert Hansen. He owns that bakery over there. They got good donuts. You know what I mean? It, 
Yeah. And plus he also had friends in his town uh, lie for him and create alibis for him. Uh, So the cops, they could have had him a few times. Did the friends know that? They didn't know he was killing. No, they just thought, yeah, this guy, you know, he picked up a hooker. Things got a little out of hand. Don't need to ruin this guy's life. We'll stick up for him. Wow. Wow. I'm sure that happens more often than not, but I'm always curious as to what reason he gave for the, the bedrock lie that he gave these colleagues and friends to lie for him yeah because it's a slippery it's like a it's a tight line you gotta make up something that could conceivably be considered to be like a good reason to lie for something like this but also not be like a big red flag for others right. to see like what is he really hiding that's and a good point i always wonder like i guess it depends on the people also but you know i always wonder what reason he gives them <laughs> yeah yeah i would like to have been a fly on the wall for that one Right, right. Those conversations, yeah. But then again, you know, sometimes guys really stick up for each other. You know, uh, not saying I would in this case, but it's not unheard of. Uh, yeah, put it this way: I will never put you in a position where you have to uh, hide, uh, make an alibi for me for murders I've committed. Um, and I, I appreciate. Ne- that. I will never do that to you. <laughs> um, well, it's inconceivable for me to imagine it. So there's one reason, but also like. Uh, it reminds me of something else, but I think it's more off air and it'll get sidetracked too much. But it's you're right, though. Guys do that. And I can see the yeah. inklings, like the beginnings of that thinking, right, to where this guy might have taken advantage of that. Yeah. I can see that maybe. Mm-hmm. Very, th- th- this, you know, as horrible as he was, it is an incredibly interesting story. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want to see that. I want to add it to my Netflix clue while you continue. There you go. Now, the reason I added the story of Robert Hansen to this episode is because some of his victims are still missing. Only 12 bodies have been located out of a possible 37. I mean, who knows? There could be even more than 37 out there. This guy was prolific, and he was insatiable, and his hunting grounds were vast and isolated. Who knows how many more bodies could be out there waiting to be discovered? Now, I know some listeners might be thinking, but Jay, you started the first Alaskan Triangle episode saying that 16,000 missing since 1988. Hansen's murders happened before 1988. And that's fair, I guess. But to me, missing is missing. But if the years bother you, how about this? Alaska's most notorious serial killer just happened to pop up and execute some of the most vicious, depraved crimes the country has ever seen inside the Alaskan Triangle. Keep in mind, Robert Hansen, he wasn't from Anchorage. He was from Iowa. He moved to Anchorage, one of the points making up the Alaska Triangle, and that's when all hell broke loose. How's that for a story hook? Right. Now, going from serial killer to something, it's a very hard segue, so I'm just going to go. I have to at least mention there's a research facility at the center of multiple conspiracy theories, which happens to be located in a town called Gakona, about three hours, 45 minutes outside of Anchorage, Alaska, inside the Alaska Triangle. Okay. It's an array of 180 radio antennas that beam electromagnetic frequencies up into the air. I'm talking about the High Frequency Active Oral Research Program, or HARP. Have you ever heard of HARP? No, but it sounds really close to something like a, an acronym that's like that, but I can't think of what it was. Maybe DARPA. Ah. DARP. No, DARPA's in this, actually. Good call. Oh. Well, there you go. Yeah, HARP people go, conspiracy theorists go 
fucking nuts about harp. Now, I, I just want to touch on this because believe me, again, we could do a whole episode on harp too, right? Between 1990 and 2014, harp was a jointly managed program of the United States Air Force and the United States Navy. And its goal was to research the physical and electrical properties of the Earth's ionosphere, that area of our sky that stretches from about 50 miles to 400 miles above Earth's surface, or right about at the edge of space, which can affect our military and civilian communication and navigation systems. HARP uses something called the Ionospheric Research Instrument, or the IRI, to temporarily excite a limited area of the ionosphere for scientific study. And then other highly uh, uh, sophisticated scientific instruments are used to measure the results in that excited area. Okay, does that make sense? I don't know what you mean by excited. Uh, so HARP will shoot up this beam of energy into the ionosphere, and where that beam of energy hits, it excites the particles there. It gets them all jazzed up and going crazy really and then they analyze what's going and there's a reason here and i'll get to that like an adrenaline shot to the chest of the ionosphere yeah good exactly harp technology is also used to better understand and predict space weather for satellite operations at low orbit and to better understand how to mitigate the effects of potential high altitude nuclear detonations on low earth orbiting aircraft and on earth itself okay some pretty important geeky stuff was being researched at HARP, in other words. However, the fact that HARP can manipulate the ionosphere and the fact that DARPA, or the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, <laughs> basically the U.S. Department of Defense's research and development arm, helped fund HARP for years, has the tinfoil hatters screaming conspiracy. You see, over the years, HARP has been blamed for everything from being a weather-manipulating superweapon to mind control to creating mass mindless zombies. So let's explore each of these claims a little bit. Now, as far as weather as a weapon, HARP conspiracy theorists claim that HARP could control and target weather super events. Everything from Hurricane Katrina to the 2010 Haitian earthquake, the 2011 earthquake and tsunami in Japan, the 2013 Moore, Oklahoma tornado, a massive landslide in the Philippines in 2006. Basically, any recent natural disaster can be tracked to the ionosphere experiments being conducted at HARP. Okay? Yes. Now, when it comes to mind control, I've left a link in the show notes to a patent that was filed by Duke University adjunct professor Joel Stephen Goldberg. Listeners, check it out. This is crazy. Goldberg's intention was to develop a weapon which would be used by the United Nations to maintain peace through electromagnetic energy targeted at individuals' brains. I must remind you that the scanning experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. Basically, if countries were on the brink of a nuclear war, this theoretical weapon could be used to target the brains of those countries' leaders to induce a calming effect, which in theory would make these leaders more open to peaceful negotiations instead of all-out nuclear war. This sounds like a machine that was invented by 
Hippies from the 60s. Hippies from the 60s. Yeah, right? Right? Peace, not love, man. And they just got fed up of waiting for everyone to just choose peace and love over war. They're like, let's just make a fucking machine. That's right. Um, It sounds like one of those, like, weird cartoon sketches, honestly. But the crazy thing here is that it there's a patent filed for this. This was to be a, it's abandoned now, but this was to be a real thing. Right. And there's no, I mean, there's, I mean, <laughs> I there's know. so much downside. I mean, the general principle of it is a giant downside, right? It's a, it's mind control. That's what, I mean, emotional yeah, control, emotional control is definitely a form of mind control oh, and it's 100%. the same thing. It's not a mood ring where it just tells you what you're feeling. It's there's, in this case, the mood ring is making you feel something, you know, and that's a, that's a big problem. It potentially anyway. And uh, I don't see how how it doesn't have any consequences. There's no way it doesn't have any consequences. There's no way it can't be. I'm not even saying human interaction. I'm not saying like human with uh, a person with bad, uh, with evil ways in mind, like evil, you know, uh, intent. I'm thinking just accidental or just things they haven't seen yet. You know, like I don't. This isn't. That's nutty. This is nutty. It's all levels of wrong. You yeah. know, it's. It could go sideways so easily, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, one of Goldberg's inspirations for this mind control, let's just call it a weapon, mm-hmm. was HARP's ionospheric research instrument, the IRI. After all, HARP was already shooting electromagnetic waves into the ionosphere. Why couldn't those waves be adjusted a bit and directed towards individuals in- instead? It's pretty freaky if you think about it. Now, as, as for Harp creating mindless zombies, that claim, that theory, think about it. At different wavelengths, electromagnetic energy could cook food or it could fry electronics. Just imagine what it could do to the human brain. All right, once again, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. The theory is frequencies being produced by HARP are strong enough to affect the human population, causing pacifying feelings, disorientation, sleepiness, high paranoia, and even aggression in people locked onto this frequency. That's funny. That is really funny. Reminds me of Serenity. Remember that movie? I remember seeing it. I don't remember much about it. In it, the government makes this drug called the Pax. Now, this is a, a future movie where uh, humanity is colonizing planets left and right. And this is one planet where they tried this experiment on, on its people. They gave them this thing called the Pax in their water supply without them knowing. Oh. And it was supposed to literally calm them down. That was the, the intent because the just the nature of humanity was too aggressive for the government. So they, they, they did it experimentally put in the water supply of an entire planet this thing called the Pax, and it's supposed to calm them down. And it had two horrendous side effects. One of them being that uh, the people that it did calm down, it made them indifferent to things they used to care about. Make them so the point to where they ended up they ended up committing suicide because all of them, like ninety eight percent of them, um, because um, they didn't care to get up in the morning. They didn't care to eat or sleep. They didn't care to want to do those things. It became too calm, like too much, right? And then the other, uh, the, the, the other opposite side of that is that it turned a certain percentage of people in the planet extremely aggressive. I 
have to be quick. About a tenth of a percent of the population had the opposite reaction to the packs. Their aggressor response increased beyond madness. They have become... Well, they've killed most of us. And not just killed. They've done things. Like, torturously aggressive. Like, to torture just for torturing's sake. Aggressive. And it's a, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a movie, but it reminds me so much of that. A hundred percent. So much. I mean, that's exactly what the, the conspiracy theory says, is that these frequencies being emitted by harp could do just that to people. Pacify them, put them to sleep, make them hyper-aggressive, everything in between. We're talking the full-on possibility of mind control using energy, harp energy. Now, the funny thing is there are hikers in Alaska that claim to have encountered feelings of intense fear out of nowhere for no apparent reason, which caused them to take off running and ultimately get lost, getting, getting themselves lost. Right. Yes. It's like this fight or flight that comes out of absolutely nowhere while they're hiking. Is this what's happening to some of the missing in the Alaska Triangle? Are they encountering harp signals, which in turn causes them to act erratically, and they ultimately get lost in the vast Alaska wilderness never to be seen again? I don't know, but it's a theory, and it's just one more strange thing to add to the Alaska Triangle. Now, just so you know, in August 2015, when the U.S. Air Force funding for research and development on HARP dried up, the HARP laboratory and the research equipment and the research was transferred to and is now managed by the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. By handing it over to a university, it's a way to keep the science and research going out of the military's hands and their budget and into the public sector using alternate funding sources. Supposedly. Supposedly, right. Right. So that's harp. And and finally, before we put the Alaska Triangle to bed, oh. Let's tilt our heads once again skyward and look to another cryptid as a possible reason people go missing in the Alaska Triangle. There's a legend shared by many indigenous tribes, predominantly tribes of the Midwestern Plains, the Northwest Coast, and the Northeast, which describes a supernatural bird of absolute gigantic proportions with brilliant, colorful feathers and talons large enough to carry a killer whale, much like an eagle would carry a fish. This is the legend of the Thunderbird. Hmm. Hmm. Now, the Thunderbird is one of the most dominant icons in Native American mythology and is one of the few cross-cultural characters in Native American lore meaning the belief in the Thunderbird is shared among many different tribes from different parts of the country. Now, legends of the Thunderbird differ slightly from tribe to tribe, but for the most part, the Thunderbird is seen as a very powerful, sacred force of nature. It's said to live in massive nests situated atop the highest mountain peaks, peaks so high they're constantly shrouded in clouds. When the Thunderbird appears, it brings with it huge storm clouds, 
and its beating wings produce waves of rolling thunder and wind, while its eyes and beak shoot lightning. The Thunderbird is seen as a, a symbol of power and strength and nobility, and it's seen as a protector of the upper world, keeping underworld spirits at bay by casting bolts of lights at them, bolts of lightning at them. The Thunderbird is seen as the bringer of summer, as the storms associated with the Thunderbird provide the necessary elements to produce vegetation, thus sustaining the native people. Other legends say that the Thunderbird are shapeshifters, able to remove its head like a mask and its feathers like a cape, after which it can take on the form of a beautiful male child or a handsome young man. And you can tell a male child or young man is a shape-shifting Thunderbird by that person's ability to fluently speak backwards. For thousands of years, the Thunderbird has been featured predominantly in Native American art, on Native pottery, masks, carving, jewelry, and totem poles. And in fact, to take a fun little detour here, Chicago is home to a famous 40-foot totem pole called Quanusilla, or the Thundermaker. And it stands in the Lakeview neighborhood in Lincoln Park at Addison Street, just east of Lakeshore Drive. Quanusilla features a sea monster with this lively expression, which forms the base of the pole. A whale balancing on top of the sea monster with its tail in the air and there's a carved figure of a man holding a spear riding the whale's back. And the totem pole is topped by a thunderbird with its wings outstretched and its talons grip the whale's tail, an homage to the legend that a thunderbird is large enough to carry a whale. Now, the totem pole that sits at Lincoln Park today is a replica of the original Quanusilla that was carved by the Kwekiatl Indians of Vancouver Island in the early 1900s and was subsequently brought to and dedicated to the people of Chicago in 1929 by James L. Kraft, the cheese guy. After its dedication to the people of Chicago in 1929, Quanusilla sat in Lincoln Park for nearly 60 years, taking the brunt of harsh Chicago lakeshore weather along with suffering numerous acts of vandalism. Quanusilla was set on fire it was shot multiple times in drive-by shootings. Keeping it classy, Chicago. Always. And overall, although well-intentioned, restoration efforts left our totem pole worse off. Incorrect paint was used to repair damages caused by weather and criminals, which sped up rot. Wrong colors were used during repairs, which altered the meaning of the totem pole completely. And plaster and rebar were incorrectly used as a structure enhancer. Overall, improper preservation methods to try and save the red cedar of which our totem pole was made failed. So on October 9th, 1985, the original Quanusilla was removed from Lincoln Park and sent to the Museum of Anthropology at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, where experts hope to conserve and further analyze the sculpture. And on May 21st, 1986, an exact replica of the original Quanusilla was donated to the school children of Chicago by Kraft Incorporated, which still stands in the original location to this day. So through Quanosilla, Chicago has a connection to the mighty Thunderbird. Hmm. Nice little local tie in there, right? Yep. Now there is a supernatural side to this story that I have to mention. It's fairly well known in Chicago paranormal circles that the carving on Quanosilla of the man riding the whale that I mentioned 
that man moves. It's said that if you watch the totem pole closely, the man's arms and head will move, changing positions ever so slightly. Or it's said that if you take a picture of Kwanusilla and come back later and look at the totem pole, the man will be in a totally different position. Pretty creepy. Hmm. No. Now, I have to mention it here. Over the years, I've tried this multiple times. I've sat and stared at Kwanusilla. I've taken pictures of it. And the little man never moved for me. But still, that rumor persists. And people swear it's true. Thought I'd throw that in here as a nice little ghostly tale from our sweet home, Chicago. And listeners, of course, I have pictures of the Native American Thunderbird and Kwanusilla in the show notes. So check it out. So why am I making a big deal out of the, thund- out of the Thunderbird? Well, some people believe that Thunderbirds are responsible for people disappearing in the Alaska Triangle. Like an honest-to-God Thunderbird swooped down and grabbed some of these people and carried them off far and away, possibly even consumed them as food. Right. But surely the legend of a Thunderbird is just a myth, right? There's not a bird in the world large enough to lift and carry off a human being, is there? I mean, I understand what you're trying to say, but please do not call me Shirley. <laughs> Here, I thought you were going to drop some knowledge, some big yeah, I point. Know. <laughs> I know. That's why you do it seriously. Well, some news articles claim that there absolutely are birds large enough to do just that, lending credibility to the legends of the Native American Thunderbird. In a story published in the Juno Empire on February 1st, 2018, so recently, a woman named Tabitha Bauer told of an encounter she had just at dusk on January 16, 2018, while she was driving in Mendenhall Valley, a neighborhood in Juneau, Alaska. As the news story goes, Bauer was driving her vehicle near Mendenhall Mall when it began to rain, so she flipped on her wipers, and that's when she saw it, a massive jet black bird with a short tail flying just above the treetops over Mendenhall Loop Road and it was flying towards her. Bauer got a good look at the creature, and she estimated the bird's wingspan to be at least 20 feet, as wide as the road she was driving on. And she likened the bird to a small airplane, and she said its body could have been eight feet long, if not longer. Bauer said the creature flapped its massive wings, then flew off towards Mendenhall Glacier, and that's when it disappeared from view. No one's been able to identify the bird as something native to the area, or to Alaska for that matter. And many people claim that what Tabitha Bauer saw was an honest-to-God thunderbird. And this isn't the only sighting of a massive unknown bird flying around Alaska. In October 2012, CNN reported on a story from a a man named Moses Kupchiak, a heavy equipment operator from the village of Tojiak, Alaska who said that when he saw the bird at first, he thought this this giant thing in the sky was an old otter seaplane. But when the thing banked and Kupchak saw it from the side, he immediately realized that what he was seeing was not a seaplane at all, but a huge bird with the wingspan over 14 feet. Hmm. The creature flew off towards a hill and disappeared. And that's when Kupchak radioed in the sighting and urged Tojiak residents to keep their children inside. <laughs> now, a short while later, a pilot named John Bowker, flying in the area of the Tojiak bird sighting, 
witnessed the same creature from about a thousand feet away from where he was flying. Bowker said uh, it was quoted in the Anchorage Daily News saying about the bird, quote, he's huge. He's huge. He's really, really big. You wouldn't want to have your children out, end quote. And really, sightings of bird like this in Alaska go back to the 1800s. So who knows? Are some of the 16,000 people missing in the Alaska Triangle victims of the Thunderbird? After all, massive birds would require some pretty big prey to survive. And maybe, just maybe, nice plump humans are on the menu. a good ending for it and i love how you love cryptids in general so that's a good way to end it um it's rare for cryptids to be a possible a possible uh excuse not excuse a uh, reason for a lot of these experiences but also it's funny how cryptids can be possible but also electromagnetism upside down pyramids underground <laughs> yeah. um it's just, serial killers it's, it's so it's right serial killers uh forces that are meant to calm you down but maybe make others aggressive um it's it's funny how the less we know, the more possibilities there are. But at the same time, the more of these details we get, um, it makes some of these possibilities, however extreme or weird, feel a little more possible, right? right. A little bit more. Maybe not the bird necessarily as much, but I like that you got the, the te- some testimony in there uh, of people who saw it. Thank you. Um, it's a lot, though. Damn. It's Two episodes worth of it's this thing, yes. But now, here's the funny thing. So I have um, clients in Alaska. Someone who uh, I've, I've had some pretty open conversations with about you know the podcast and right things like this. So he's in Fairbanks, and Fairbanks is in the Triangle. And I ran this by him because I wanted some on the ground uh, testimonial from someone I know. You know what I mean? Right. Have you heard of this stuff? What about the aliens? What about this? He hasn't heard of any of it. But we don't know what we don't know. The fuck is that supposed to mean? Any of it. How long has he lived there? Oh, um, easily over 20 years, 25 years. He retired from the military and uh, not retired. He got out of the military, moved to, to Fairbanks. So he's been there for at least 20, 20 25 years. He hasn't heard wow. of any of this. And matter of fact, he listens to our podcast on YouTube. I guess. Where he's at, it's so spotty as far as electronics, like TV and cable and things like this. It's kind of out of the picture. Their entertainment is YouTube. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Uh, my so friend he, in front of the show, Luke, uh, was there, was stationed in Alaska for his job for what's, I think it was like a half a year or something. That's and, right. I remember. Um, and he would often chide the, the poor reception to things, which is why. And I mentioned this, I think, was it the last show or some recent show? I mentioned how Alaska has one of the the last blockbuster alive because they can't stream things very easily there because the internet is so bad and the reception so bad that they are better off with home video rentals. Wow. Yeah. You know, overall. And so that's why the last blockbuster is there in Alaska. It's because of those kind of reasons. His internet was so bad, he could never record with us. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how, so we, we sit down and flip on Netflix. It sounds like, you know, for them, all they could do is really sit down and uh, flip on YouTube. So he listens to us, but you know, so, Hey, uh, Ben, but never heard of any of this. 
as rich and detailed as this triangle is all the things we've laid out and there's more i just we, we ran out of time right right uh, he hasn't heard of it so i thought that was interesting it doesn't mean i don't believe some of it but right no it is interesting but also like you know when it comes to like let's say me i've lived in chicago for 37 years and i didn't know about resurrection mary no that's true until we covered it so maybe that's 35 true. years because i think it was two years ago when we recorded that so yeah never heard of it didn't know about it didn't know that legend you know at all so yeah. there you go yeah you can live here all your life or you can live somewhere all your life and not know that kind of stuff and um, this is just one city i mean he has an entire state right oh entire massive state yeah massive ass state yeah but i loved researching this episode i gotta tell you and i also wanted to tell you uh, so i saw and forgive me i'm gonna do this i saw the documentary about the last blockbuster oh really it is not in alaska that was this, there were two there were two they oh. were they were like battling it out it's bend oregon Oh, it was so, Oregon and Alaska? Bend and Alaska were fighting it out, and Alaska closed. Bend is still open. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. It's okay. It's okay. It makes oh, sense. You're, you're, my bad. That makes sense why it would yeah. be. My bad. Okay. But yeah, okay. One, one of the last ones then. Yes. Um, no, I don't mind being wrong. Um, but yeah, Oregon, I wonder why there. Do they explain that? Uh, yeah, it was actually a really good documentary. No, but do they explain uh, why it's in uh, Oregon still? It, like why? Kind of. Um, like the blockbuster CEO, like it, did it start in Oregon? No. Okay. No. That's blockbuster, why. Blockbuster took over a, a family. That was like the. Oh, maybe it was. Fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> Watch it. I'm telling you, you'll like it. But oh, okay. anyway, not to get too far off track. But I heard that home family video is closing down. Have you heard of that? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um. So, did you like these uh, two episodes? Fuck yes, I did. Nice way to come back from a break. Yes, it's a very good one, and um, I don't know, it, I don't know what the next one's gonna be, because um, like I said, we are recording this in advance. We said this before, and I don't know what the next one is going to be, but I know that um, very, very soon, it's gonna be a two-parter from my end. Next up yeah. on the docket, nice. and no, no triangles, but it'll be. Let's just say it'll uh, be around the world. So nice! I can't wait. Yep, cannot wait. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, also, listeners, I hope you like Oscar's added uh, edits and flourishes. I love them. I think they enhance the oh, story. Oh, right. I would love to know feedback on that. because we too. Started, we did it first on a bonus episode, uh, which not many people got to listen to, obviously, because it's for Patreon listeners as well only. But um, now that it's going to be in the live feed, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know. I really want to know uh, if it if it goes well and if it doesn't diminish the the integrity of the piece. That's what I really care about personally, because I know that we can be very jokey and we're always very jokey, but we also can get seriously in moments and in certain paragraphs or in certain segments of our shows. And I want to make sure that it's not, um, it's not undercutting it by accident. Um, so let me know, let us know. Hopefully it does something better instead of decreasing stuff, but yeah, hope you like it. There you go. Well, Oscar, if you have, uh, Anything else to say? No, no. I still don't know what kind of triangle this is. Isosceles or, or parallel. Oh, I don't know what kind of Ooh. triangle. You, you're supposed to get back to me on that. So shame on you. <laughs> Besides that, I got nothing else. I mean, I have so many like ideals and questions because, you know, that's one thing we do on the show is that we really create more questions. Like the, like we talk about this pyramid. And now it's up to you guys out there listening to do your research on the pyramid. 
Um, but obviously, Jay didn't. No way, Jay could mention everything. When I thought this show wasn't about one pyramid, it was about many things inside this triangle, and one of them is a pyramid. So, like, check it out. Go check it out. Go read whatever people are saying. Go speculate for yourself, and then get, come up with an answer on your own. Um, but you know, there's a lot of that going around. Like the idea of the serial killer, that could be a show in itself too. Right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, there were a couple other killers in in Alaska that are would have been worth mentioning uh, if we were just dedicating time to serial killers. But um, mm-hmm. Israel Keys is another one that people could research. He was a real douchebag. Uh, <laughs> dead now, killed himself. But it, there's just so many other things, so many other roads we could have taken here. You know, there's supposedly a, a deep uh, uh, alien base um, in in Alaska. I didn't even get into that. Uh, so much, so much. Yeah, but yeah, if that's it, should yeah, we it. travel on home? Oscar, you're going to take us home. Let's take a prop plane home. Oh no, not the prop plane, please. Let's do it. It's just not. It's just no. Just do it. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you get a custom-tailored suit, it's going to fit perfectly and make you look great. Think about that with a Noble First for your organization. No matter what the size of your company is, a Noble First will analyze your data and collaborate with you to custom-tailor digital solutions so you can focus on making your organization grow. When it comes to data-centric solutions specifically for your organization, choose a Noble First. A Noble First makes living simple. See for yourself at anoblefirst.com, E-N-N-O-B-L-E-First.com. were watching WandaVision. The new episode? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it last night. Wow. 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 What do you think is going on? Well, I think Agatha Harkness is back. I think Agatha Harkness, the uh the Salem witch from the Marvel universe. Right. I think she's I think she's Agnes the neighbor. She's gotta be gotta be has to be and then i don't think it's quicksilver i really don't no i don't i don't think so either i think again i don't know much about them yeah 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 i think it's uh i think it's mephisto that's what i think so but what do you i mean you think this is like a happy accident for her or is she's in cahoots with them is it a kidnapping thing is it a manipulation what is it manipulation yeah that's the other thing too i think I think Agnes Agatha is controlling everybody. Maybe 
maybe Wanda has a few people under her control, but I think Agnes Agatha is the one that's doing the most damage. Like when, when vision freed that Indian guy at his work, Mm -hmm. the guy was like, please, it hurts. It's terrible. It's horrible. I don't think Wanda would do that anymore. So it's gotta be somebody else. And I think it's, I think it's the witch. The reason I think that, I mean, if you remember from the age of Ultron, when they introduced Scarlet Witch, they kind of make it seem like it's, um, when, they, when she hijacks your mind like that, like it, it does. She could. They, they didn't say it hurt like that, but it, it was painful. Yes. Right. But then so. she also became an Avenger, so I don't think she would do that anymore. Unless, well, I don't know if her powers doesn't work without hurting someone. Like if she were to do that. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, but man, was it good when mm-hmm. when Wanda and Vision were about to square off in the front room? Ooh, man, that was cool. Mm-hmm. And then we we finally found out that yes, Vision vision was resurrected it's not a mirage or anything it's real and he was he was dead and disassembled and everything and she she resurrected i wonder i really wonder how that works because of the mind stone well he didn't have the mind stone anymore did he because thanos took it right what i'm saying is that well you know yeah thanos took it and blah 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 and when it when when uh, Captain America returned all the stones to the original timelines. The Mind Stone was one of the things he returned from yeah, history. Um, now, the Mind Stone is technically what's the one that Thor had? No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's the other one. Um, it's the one that I Tony Stark's father, I believe, has in the past. That's the one we've been using for most of the movies. Like that's the Tesseract. That's the one that's unlimited power. That's the one that has, right. I'm pretty sure. Um, and that's the one that's in vision when it was, when he was created, but if it was destroyed on earth, then it's in the past in the seventies with uh, a shield. Um, I might be getting my facts wrong, but I think I'm right. Hmm. And then, so I'm just curious as to how Wanda resurrect, resurrected him without a Mind Stone. I see. Or is there two Mind Stones now? I don't know. I don't think you can. It's, it seems like one of a unique stone. So I, didn't ask right. I, can, I don't think you can replicate them, but I don't know. Well, unless it's easier because he wasn't human. Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah, he's not human, yeah. Because she, she made a real good, you know, strong point when, the, when her twins wanted her to bring the dead dog back. She's like, yeah, we can't. Mm-hmm. Something that's you know flesh and blood, maybe. So maybe it was easier for Vision. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But man, it was great. It was it was great. And then, how did you feel about the big reveal at the end? What was it again? I'm trying to remember. Evan Peters Quicksilver, a completely different Marvel Universe Quicksilver. Oh right, right, right. From the other movies. Have you seen them? And the oh yeah, oh yeah. Days of Future Past and yep. um. Yep. The other but one those, yeah. so I, I guess because I didn't get it, I was like, okay, cool. It's it's that version of Quicksilver, you know. I thought it was weird that she didn't recognize him at first, but but then I started. I talked to my cousin, and she's like, no, dude, it's that was owned by a completely different. Uh, who was it? Universal, I think. Sony Universal. Yeah, yeah. Disney didn't own them. Now they're bringing in a Sony Universal character to the right. Disney. I think so. What this is is that it's starting to look like WandaVision might be a stepping stone to allow in the X Men into the universe of Marvel. Oh, okay. I think it means something potentially bigger than that. I think they're trying to 
like whatever's happening in WandaVision, whenever, whenever, and however they explain it, um, they're going to introduce every single X-Men character and every, like any um, Fantastic Four character. You're gonna, they're oh. going to start bringing in that world into the Marvel Universe world. And I think that this WandaVision show is like the, their way to do that, their transitions. Really? You bring them in. And I'm not saying character by character. It could be that whatever Wanda, whatever magic is going on in WandaVision, whatever that field is or whatever the fuck, yeah. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to do some, some parallel universe type thing or something. Like that. It's going to be something crazy like that, and it's going to bring everyone in on it. Wow. That's what I'm thinking. That would because, be cool. Uh, because over this time also from, from the new year, uh, Disney Plus has been adding in other movies that they didn't own previously. Like, like the what? X-Men. Like the Wolverine's on there now, for example. Oh. For example. Days of Future Past, I'm pretty sure it's on there. Um, other stuff. Other, other, other Marvel stuff that wasn't, that isn't owned by them or wasn't anymore. Maybe they are now. And see that, I guess I didn't realize that they were completely separate universes in the Marvel universe. Right. I mean, it, that's, why, that's why, for example, and uh, this is more like a copyright issue, why in uh, Age of Ultron, they couldn't call Wanda and her brother uh, mutants. They had to call them enhanced, enhanced beings. Really? They call them that in that movie. And then obviously in the X-Men universe, they're called mutants because that's what the original thing is. Yeah. Mutants as a word was taken with when they were buying the rights in the nineties, you know, for all these characters willingly Sony took the rights to mutants when they took X-Men or Fox or whoever owned them. And wow. That's crazy. So because of that, uh, Marvel, uh, the MCU slash Disney couldn't use mutants huh. as a word to call like a race of whatever. That's so meta. Like that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, so is that why in this latest episode when they were saying, does she have a, a funny or a, a silly name? And they're like, nope, no, no alias. And I'm like, dude, dude Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch. And yeah, like, they, don't, they don't know her as that. <laughs> not yet. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe this could all give her that nickname. Maybe they're going to make up the nickname now. Right? Oh, okay. It's possible. But then no one's ever called her Scarlet Witch, I don't think, in the movies. They call her Enhanced or Maximoff or Wanda. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I might be wrong, but I don't think so. I remember Tony Stark calling her a witch, but not Scarlet Witch. Right. Right? Because she has weird powers, right? Yeah, like he called her this little – the little witch or the the freaky witch or something like that, but not Scarlet Witch. Right, yeah. Well, crazy. I mean he also, he also called Thor Lebowski, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Mjolnir. Oh look, Mjolnir. Whatever, everyone. The first when the first snow hit really hard. Yeah. That, that day of. Um, man, it was so impossible to get out of my street. Like it was hard. Like I so I got out in advance to shovel enough to get out of the spot. But there's the rest of the street to think of too, because it's a it's a residential street. It's not a main street. It wasn't salt it hasn't been salted. I mean it is now. It's been shoveled now, but it wasn't at the time. So I saw I remember getting out an hour early before I would leave for work normally. And I would, I saw this car, these two guys like down the block, way down. Cause I'm towards the end of my block. And they were like towards the beginning of it. I could yeah. see them over there shoveling the way out at the, in the middle of the road. Um, by the time I was, I, I was able to get out of my spot. They were almost on me. 
That's how serious. It was just how crazy it was. And then we all helped each other. And then neighbors came out of nowhere, and we all, it was really cool actually. We all got to like we all got together to get to pave the way in the road to for all Man. of us to get out. And it was he had the same issue too. Like oh yeah, I gotta go to work. I'm like yep. I'm like kind of like I'm not gonna Uber. Um, and and the funny thing is that after work, I came back and I got stuck in this. was my second time. I got stuck Ugh. in the snow. I thought that maybe the the some plow might have come in by then, and at least made this the roads easier. Maybe not parking easier, but made the roads easier. And foolish me, it wasn't. So I got stuck trying to get out of my residential block because I was like, oh shit, I should never have come in here. Damn, this fucking kill zone. But I was, and then this the car that was stuck behind me again. It was the guy from earlier that day. <laughs> oh guy. no way! Yeah, he was coming back home from work, also, and that was really funny. Yeah, it um, was. It was. That was a lot of fucking snow, man. Jeez, a lot of snow, and man, that night sucked because I had to. When I eventually got out, that took even longer. I feel I don't know how long it took. No, it didn't take longer. It just felt longer. Um, and I lost uh, I lost my vape. <gasps> Like this is this vape you see, it's a new tank and a new vape. I had to get a new everything. Where did you lose it? In the snow? In the, in the snow. Oh, you'll find it in the spring. That's what that's what Lexi said. And I, I walked around that area everywhere I got stuck. Like I got stuck in three different parts of the of the block. I looked everywhere around there and I, you know, I couldn't find it. Just couldn't find it. Um and she's like, You should be able to find it. It's, it's heavy, but the snow's heavy too, so maybe it didn't sink all the way in and then it's um different colors not white it's like black i'm like yeah i know but i don't know if i find it and i didn't Damn. so I had, to, I had to buy a whole new set and um and then the third time was yesterday actually i got stuck when i tried to park in a in a spot that was because now it's icy now it's all like hard Ugh. so like it was a different kind of parking problem but i got out it was that was easy that was like 20 minutes but yeah that's how it's been with the snow for me yeah I, mean, I still love the snow so. i hate it it was a lot the same up here. It's just, you know, luckily we're on the driveway, but I don't know. I think the first snow we got there, I think I was outside for almost five hours trying to clean, get get all the snow out, even with a snowblower, trying to get Katie's car and my car out of the driveway. It was just terrible. Just terrible. Five hours, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Took forever. There was so much snow out there, man. And because how do, I don't, how do you even begin that? You have to do it in like in layers, right? Because it's so yeah. high, you can't start from the bottom. Or you'll, nope, the shovel, the, the uh, snowblower wouldn't even do it. Wouldn't right. even do it. Yeah. So it sucked. I don't know why we're still here. I don't need to be here. <laughs> I could be anywhere and work. But you know what? This, this is like a record. This is also not a good thing. And you could well, tell your, you could tell Michelle about this because I've noticed that this is yet another another case of like. The Avengers fucking up with their aftermath stuff. They are terrible at cleaning up after themselves. <laughs> you know? Okay. Like, it started with the Tesseract. And it probably didn't start there. It started with other things. But it started with the Tesseract. And the Tesseract, they misplaced it and Hydra stole it from underneath their noses. That's why Age of Ultron is there. That's oh, why Ultron yeah. starts. That's how it starts. From the first Avengers movie, when they captured the Tesseract and they defeated Loki, they lost a fucking cube. It was stolen right beneath their noses by Hydra. And then they spent all Avengers, at the beginning of Avengers 2 to, to get it back. And then it happened again with the Sokovo thing, or Sokovia thing, yeah. where they created the next Bond villain from improperly, you know, like, whatever, leave the, all the stuff they left behind. They did a lot with trying to help out with the citizens there, but not enough because of that weird ex-military guy got butthurt and 
basically caused all the Avengers to hurt themselves in the Civil War. And then cut to cut to Vision, who is not exactly like a, a, a tesseract, nor is it a fallen building. It's a it's a colleague of theirs, and they don't retrieve him. They don't they don't think of funeral. They don't think of wh- who allowed them to to get Vision's body napped. I don't I don't understand why they allowed that. That's a good point. Holy did they just come in? Did they break into Wakanda and stole him from the grounds? Because that's where he died in Wakanda. Vision. Did he? Was that was yes. that Wakanda? Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, 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 right. And if and if there's some back channels that through Wakanda, some government, American government, stole it from them, then it kind of makes me fear about Wakanda in general. I thought that we're supposed to be a complete sovereign state. That's the whole reason that they, they exist undercover. Yeah. No one knows them. No right. one has eyes and, t- and ties with them. They're supposed to be more pure-hearted than that. So that's another, you know, potential dark side that I didn't want to know about Wakanda. And I don't know. I don't never explain themselves. I don't think. Holy but cow, this is, man! This is like the third, fourth time, and there's probably other little, smaller things. But <laughs> they suck at the cleanup. I they love suck it. at the cleanup. It's their dead friend. How do you not? Uh, I mean, you know, they did a whole funeral for Tony Stark. Oh yeah. Where's Vision's funeral? I mean, I, I know that was five years ago from that point in the in the story, but like, what happened five years ago? Did they not? They just forget the Vision died. They're like, fuck him. Mindstone's gone. That's a good point, man. You know, holy hell, that's weird. And now I can see why Wanda. If that if that's as bad, if that's what happened, I can see why Wanda's pissed off at everyone. Oh yeah, damn dude, that's a great point. Yeah, I can see her like coming back after five years and defeat Thanos and all that, and she's like, "I'm gonna go visit my dead lover's grave." Where is it? Oh shit, we didn't. Oh shit, like you know, we didn't make one. What happened to him? We just let him get. Right. Taken and torn up. Right. Damn. That's good, man. That is good. Stupid Avengers. Yeah. Bring the X-Men. Yeah. And that's the same thing happened with uh, the beginning of Civil War where that one guy from S.H.I.E.L.D., the bad guy that was actually Hydra from Captain America's Winter Soldier, because they tear down S.H.I.E.L.D. in that movie. They tear it down. They tear down the main building. They tear down the company itself. And when they turn on the building, this is guy that's fighting Falcon, the shield guy, fights isn't, Falcon. Isn't that um, Crossbones or Bones or some shit like that? I'm sure he has a name. I don't remember his name. He, uh, I, I forget his name. I mean, it's in the tip of my brain, but it's going. Um, he supposedly fell with the building. And I don't know. Again, I don't know what kind of cleanup. Like, I don't understand how. Because Hydra was destroyed also for like for 90 percent of it, at least. How did he get out of that building? He can't get out of the building without help. He had to have been to a hospital. How does no one arrest him? How do he get out? Oh, I don't point. understand. It's a, I've never thought of this. That's, it, it, what, that's he was, crazy. He caused the explosion in Africa that offended the Wakandans in civil war. Because that's what they're going after. They're going after him because he survived that explosion. Huh. The, the building collapsed. I don't know. That's crazy. I'm saying, I'm saying they don't think of everything. Damn it! You should be writing this shit. No, no, no. That's that's hard <laughs> to make it up. No, no. It's still fun. But those are great points. Yeah. And yeah, I think he was like bones or bones. <laughs> I, think, I think I think I really stuck on the bone. I really am now. I, I'm trying to remember his name. I know who you're talking about. 
crazy. I can't wait to see where this goes. I think we only have like two left or something. Oh, is it a short season? Or maybe uh, three. I think it's eight. Yeah, and we just watched five. I want to find out right now. His name is Rumlo in the in the show, in the movies, played by Frank Grillo, who was a pretty good actor. I like oh, Frank yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. Now you got his face, right? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. Frankie G. Frankie Grillo. Yeah, yeah. Frank He's Grillo. a good actor. He's yeah, a good yeah. Actor. Um, he, he he can play. He, he's a he's a good actor. Like he has a strange ability where he can play a really good guy or a really bad guy. Yeah, you're in, right. In any kind of role, he has a, he has dual dual things there. Yeah, like I can see him playing a straight shooter cop or something, and then a really bad motherfucker like biker guy or something. You know, you don't know. Definitely, definitely, yeah. cool. Oh, for the life of me, I couldn't find a good one of a plane taking off that was sounded good and not too muffled or overdone. I couldn't find one for fuck's sake. I tried really? To, yeah. A good one, but I found a good one that's a prop plane one, so that was good because we mentioned pop prop plane. Oh yeah, yeah, things like that I was able to find, but that's not everything. Awesome, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find, and I may, I may still do it. I don't know yet. I may have to download the entire Kill Bill movie, but in Kill Bill Volume One, there's a scene where she decides to go get a new sword, and she goes to meet that old Chinese Japanese guy. You know, uh, I forget his name. Um, the famous Japanese sword guy, whatever. Uh, Sonny Chiba. Sonny Chiba. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, Okinawa, one way. And then and then she says it in a cool way, right? And then it, it gets it cuts the scene cuts to a really quick transition animated scene of a plane leaving one point in America wherever she is to Okinawa. Right? And it has like a whole destination beep beep and it has a plane leaving. I wanted that sound. Just oh. that sound to put it in. For one of the planes, because we're talking about senators dying in planes and stuff. So, yeah. like, I wanted to put that in there in one key part that you mentioned it. And I couldn't fucking find it. I can only find the other one when she goes to, like, one ticket to Tokyo. And it goes into the song. And I don't want the song. I want right. the sound effect of the plane taking off. <laughs> so. It's the life of an editor. Right. So, Wow. No, I think it's I, the, the thought you're putting into it. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. I think that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. I think, it, I think the listeners really like it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.